Welcome to the 88th episode of the Young Turfs podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode, we're talking Maryland's loss to Illinois from yesterday, where I was at Madison Square Garden. Some football recruiting news, and of course, the non-rev report. But before all of that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need. Whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you're looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV, contact Allied today for a free, no-obligation quote, at 301-986-0067, or visit them at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. I want to kick things off, as always, on the non-rev report. The Lady Terps completed a season sweep of the Ohio State Buckeyes, 70-57. Stephanie Jones shined with 20 points, going 7 for 12 from the field, where, while Taylor Mikes, oh, excuse me, also picked up 14 points and 7 assists. Earlier today, they slammed the Indiana Hoosiers on the road with a score of 76-56. Kayla Charles led the team scoring 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists, and they will host Wisconsin on Thursday, and that game will air on BTN to go. Yep, moving right along here, Maryland soccer's Donovan Pines will forego his final college, or excuse me, his final season of college eligibility and test time with D.C. United through a system I don't fully understand, but basically he was able to skip the draft because he was in D.C. United's farm system as a kid. Pines was named first-team All-American by top first soccer. Big loss for the team. Yeah, big loss. That's their star player. Um, I believe he scored in the national championship win. He's just big-time best defender that the team had for multiple years, but he's moving on up the ranks to the MLS, so that's good for him, and it's good for the program to keep those players going into the pro leagues. Two of Maryland's women's basketball signees, Ashley Owasu and Diamond Miller, were named to the McDonald All-Americans teams this week. And that just continues. I mean, it's the number one class in the country. You'd expect them to have some McDonald's All-Americans, and well, they do. Yep, another Maryland basketball recruit named Diamond. I hope this one's better than the last one. Okay, Diamond Stone wasn't that bad. No, but it was, he was a little disappointing to me personally, I guess. All right, let's move to some football recruiting here. The Terps signed junior college prospect Sam, and I really don't know how to say his name, so I won't. Yesterday, he's a 6'3", defensive end who weighs 270 pounds. From kind of up near you, Jordan, in Virginia, Minnesota, uh, he held offers from the Ducks of Oregon, USF, and Syracuse, among others. The Duluth Time Tribune, again, up by you, Jordan, details an amazing story that he has. Just calm was from Monrovia, the capital city of Liberia on Africa's west coast. He was 13 years old when he and his mother immigrated to the United States, settling in Massachusetts. He was a soccer player at first, but he eventually grew into his size and decided to play football in his senior season, but he only had 20 tackles. That wasn't you know, enough to get any attention. He attended community college in Massachusetts for a year, but wasn't really into it. Then in spring of 2017, he was looking at joining the Army and started watching the Netflix series Last Chance U, and Sam decided he could be one of those guys. And Mason, you watched Last Chance U, so it's got to be kind of cool for you. 
Yeah, it is. Um, Last Chance U is definitely a great series if you haven't seen it. I'd strongly recommend that you watch it. You'll definitely get some um, insight if you watch the most recent season into why um, Maryland might not be, you know, all that toxic culture stuff's all over that TV show that people praise so heavily. So it's it's pretty interesting to see and then look at what happened with, the, you know, the name calling that Maryland was quoted on, all that bad stuff. And then to see it on this TV show that's really been praised so, you know, it's critically acclaimed, won all these awards. But it really gives you insight into what it's really like to be a football player, especially one that's on their last chance. They're into junior college. They already lost that big-time college offer. So it's definitely a it's a great TV show. I recommend that a lot of you watch it. just gives you some insight on some different thoughts that maybe if you only believed what ESPN said, you definitely won't after seeing that. Yeah, it's a good show. I saw the first season. Um, the Terps also landed the commit of three-star defensive back Erwin Bird of Powder Spring, Georgia. Bird is about six feet tall, 175 pounds. He joins three other defensive backs in the class of 2019. And Corey Robinson led the charge for Bird and was able to nab him, even though Colorado was apparently heavily his favorite. This is encouraging for me. More of the recruiting process than maybe the actual player. Yeah, um... It's happening now. I mean, if you look at what's happened over the past 24 hours, it's the first big visit weekend that they've had since getting Isaiah Hazel early on in this process. And it looks like they've landed, I don't know, three, four, five guys at this point. Maybe more to come. Looks like they've solidified some other recruitment with some other players. So, you know, everyone was saying, all the insiders were saying, you got to wait. It's not going to happen right away. You're all crazy for thinking that that's going to happen. And a lot of these high school guys are done. They finished their recruitment. They committed to Florida State. However that might be, however they've, you know, done that, gone about that, it's over. They're not coming back to Maryland just because Mike Loxley's there. They've already become friends with the players that they're going to play with next year, friends with guys who are currently on the team. They're not going to just give that up just because Mike Loxley's at Maryland. But it's definitely a um, good step in the right direction that they've got a few guys now. Yeah, we got a couple more recruits that we'll get to in a minute. But first, maybe the biggest news of the week is Mike Loxley finally landed his defensive coordinator in football veteran John Hoke. Definitely got a guy that's been a lot of places, coached some really great players. Jadavian Clowney comes to mind. But I'm one to say that I'm one of those people that looked at the South Carolina boards where he came from when they hired him and saw that South Carolina was celebrating that Maryland got this guy and wanted them on their schedule right away, which isn't really a great look. Um, known for the bend-don't-break defense. I don't like it. It's one of the first guys I really can say. I really just don't like it. Well, Hoke has been more focused on pro football since 2002. He was a DB coach for the Houston Texans for six years, then the DB coach of the Bears for five years, went to South Carolina, as you said, for a year in 2015. Then, maybe most concerningly, he was a DB coach of the league's worst pass defense of the Bucks last season. So, not super encouraging for me. Yeah, it really isn't that encouraging for me either. Um, if you just look at the NFL jobs, of course, he was with the Texans from their basically from their founding to 2008. Actually, is that from their founding to 2008? Um, a couple years after, but pretty close. And then he went to the Bears under um, 
I guess John Fox and Mark Tressman, they weren't too good then. Then, of course, he went to South Carolina, where he only spent a year, and then on to the Bucks, who have been pitiful on defense, especially against the pass, for the past two years while he was coaching there. So, I, I really don't, I don't really know what to say about this, but it is what it is, and hopefully he can recruit. I mean, he's definitely had some, or I've heard that he is a good recruiter, but he spent a lot of time recently in the NFL, so a lot of things have changed, but he'll have to fit in with this staff. He's got two more position coaches to name, and then it's move on. But it's done now, and hopefully he can bring some different defense to College Park because recently it just hasn't been good. Yeah, I agree. It's not, in my opinion at least, it's not the best hire. But also at this point in the general football cycle, I don't know how many options were really out there, so maybe it was the right move. And that's all I can really say. Hopefully it works out. Yeah, hopefully it does. Um, out of nowhere, though, no one was talking about this guy. Um, just really odd. Uh, everyone was talking about, I think, Denard Wilson and um, and Ansley, and then here comes Hoke out of nowhere, and then Maryland chooses him. That's kind of been a little bit symbolic of this whole process, if you will. Well, I mean, it just he doesn't inspire a lot of confidence based on his last job with the Bucks. Because again, they were the worst pass defense in football last season, so or at least pro football. So he's definitely a veteran hire. Like I said, he's brings a lot of experience, and I don't know how much we can us we can really say about this. I think Mike Lockton knows what he's doing. How about that? Yeah, uh, let's go back here quickly to our two other football recruits, and let's go ahead and start off with Cortez Andrews. He's a 6'1 safety linebacker from Tallahassee, Florida, and he definitely had some great offers. He had an offer from Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, and he ends up at Maryland. So I'm not um, a hater of three stars at all. I'm really kind of a pro these guys got because they're the guys who might not play the best competition in high school. They don't really maybe um, – I don't know, move out of their zone. They stay with their team that they've been with, probably with the kids that they've been with, and then they pick up some big-time offers. But at the end of the day, they're a three-star. That amount of stars really means something. And he wasn't really the highest-rated guy, and I'm I'm okay with that. I think that he's going to flip down to linebacker for Maryland because Maryland needs some speed linebackers going into this year, and he'll we'll go from there. But maybe a guy that can see the field this year, maybe on special teams. Yeah, he um, is another one of the kind of, I don't know how to describe him really, hybrid guys that are so popular now because they can cover the pass even though they have linebacker size. And I'm excited to see how he's deployed. I really am a fan of the hybrid style. They had a name for the position at one point, but the safety linebacker types. And I hope we can use him that way because Maryland was able to use Trey Watson in that sort of pass coverage linebacker set even though we didn't intend for him to go that way that's where he headed up and it worked really well so hopefully he can kind of follow in that mold Watson I think you're looking at um Antoine Brooks um the kind of linebacker hybrid safety that's Antoine Brooks I don't really think it's Watson it's Watson just happened to get a few interceptions in my opinion he really wasn't great against the pass he did a better job than I think a lot of Maryland linebackers have definitely better than a Jermaine Carter or a Jalen Brooks but 
Trey Watson wasn't great against the pass. Well, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty good, but it's not really important at the moment. We also got um, another safety in Teron Collins, from also from Georgia. Maybe the Terps are starting to get some um, in into Georgia a little bit. Well, Durkin did some in Georgia, but talking about two, I mean, three-star guys. There are a lot of great football players in Georgia. It's a big football state. It would make sense for Maryland to start trying to push the South again. I know they were great in Florida at one time, and then, you know, more coaching turnover happened than you would like, and they kind of fell out of Georgia and Florida, but it looks like they're back. Uh, 6'2 safety, uh, 190 pounds right now. The 24-7 composite as was a really, actually, a really high three-star guy. He had offers from Maryland and Ole Miss and Cincinnati were really his big um, offers. I really think... This was a good one. I think it's another good one. More right now, class you gotta get guys where you lost them. Maryland lost, you know, Savage, Quantrez Knight. Did they lose? I think Richardson, um, Rayvon Davis, um, maybe Marcus Lewis. You're looking at a position where the Terps definitely lost a lot of guys, and they gotta fill those spots. I know they have different guys like Raymond Boone and um, Flyth and all those other guys there, but you got to back it up. You got to, you know, be there in case of injury. And a lot of people are saying, why are they taking so many safeties or a safety linebacker hybrid or really anybody when people look at Maryland, they say, well, what do you need? Defensive lineman, offensive lineman, maybe a quarterback or two, but they really need to fill these gaps. And it looks like they went out and did it. Maybe not with, you know, the Nick crosses or the, um, the other five-star corner that, was committed to Michigan that looked like he was maybe going to go to Maryland. I never really thought that that was going to happen. But he, they put him in this position. It looks like Robinson and Loxley really got together, and they said, what do we need to do? And looks like they went out and did it. And maybe they're not the highest talent guys that all of us thought we were going to get with this coaching staff, but at least they're players that are of note. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of Darnell Savage, as we move past recruiting here, both him and Byron Tower participated in Senior Bowl Week down in Mobile, Alabama. And Darnell Savage was named one of the four practice players of the week by the Senior Bowl itself. That's a huge boost to anyone's draft stock. Darnell Savage was looking like a third-round guy, as our um, resident draft expert Dennis Kulatsis likes to... Uh, he's really into the draft. He's saying that Savage was kind of flying, maybe a little bit under the radar, but a lot of teams definitely had their eyes on him, especially after those big performances, the early season interceptions. Savage is going to be good in the NFL. I'll say that right now. I mean, Savage has got it all going on. He can really play against the pass. Might be a little bit small, not really the hardest hitting safety ever, but a guy that is going to land somewhere and is going to play right away. I think this might push him into that second day, second round, early third round. You know, the Senior Bowl, the Shrine game, where Maryland's now two guys really show out with Watson and Savage. You play well at those games, and in the practices, your draft stock goes way up. Another guy, Byron Cowart, he pushed up his draft stock too. Um, a lot of people saw the moves that they wanted to see from a, more of a power rush end in the practices. He's more of a project guy. I see him going, I think he's going to go around the fifth or the sixth round. But definitely two guys that I think are going to land on some good teams because I think if those scouting teams like the Ravens, the Patriots are going to see these two guys and really want them because Cowart might not 
have had the best season, but he definitely showed some positives. And then, of course, Savage did have a really good year. And as we move up to basketball here before we reach our main event, <clears throat> Bruno Fernando was one of 15 players named to the midseason Naismith Defensive Player of the Year shortlist. A, a, a little bit of good news in this mess of a basketball week. Yeah, um, Fernando, of course, showing those double-doubles. I think he might – is he up to averaging a double-double? I think he's getting close, if not there. He's definitely a guy that's kind of fits that Naismith mold of being really important, being really – um. Uh, one of the team's just best players and one of the nation's best players, and that's really Bruno Fernando. He's really coming to his own. He's pushing up the draft boards, and you know this just makes sense for uh, the season that he's been having. With that, we can move to Maryland's worst loss of the season against Illinois. Well, I would like to start it off with maybe let's not talk about the loss. Let's talk about um, Madison Square Garden a little bit, what the crowd was like. I of course, got to make the trip. I was really, really, it was a great place to watch a game. It's one of the better arenas, especially with, um, it's just a really interesting place because it doesn't look very big. It's not a huge stadium. It doesn't even have a middle deck. It's just one of those places that you're fortunate enough, and I know a lot of the players talked about it, especially for Illinois, not really for Maryland because, they, you know, they won. It's one of those places that, if you're a basketball fan, if you're just a sports fan in general, it's one of those places that you dream about being able to play. It's one of those places that you really need to get to for a game, and even though it wasn't the most packed environment or really a Knicks game or a Rangers game, it was still a really nice place to watch a game. Yeah, that I mean, it looked really cool. This is the second time I've been there in the past, I don't know, 10 months or so. So it was cool for Terp fans to didn't get to see it last time to go up there and see the garden. And I'm, I'm happy you got to go, Mason. I wish I could have gone, but distance is a factor. Yeah. Um, the lower bowl that they sold was, it was pretty much full. There were some empties on the corner, but it kind of had an NCAA tournament game feeling. Both teams had their own fans there. Obviously it was a more pro Maryland crowd as I'm sure you could hear on TV, but, I don't know. It just didn't really fit in the middle of the season. That's my only thing I have to say. And obviously, let's talk about the game a little bit. Uh, Illinois tops the Terps, 78-67. to 67. They are in 13th place in the conference at 2-7 and seven and 6-14 and 14 overall. So not the best loss ever. If you talk about the game, Illinois went back. They looked at the film of what Michigan State did, and they said, how can I copy this? And the answer was to get out in transition, to try and lock down Cowan the best you can. Fernando's going to score. But I have a few bones to pick in this game, but I'll let you talk about what you saw first. Well, this was an extremely frustrating game, I think, for most Terp fans to watch. Well, two reasons. One, Maryland was supposed to win this game by a very large margin. And for a while in the first half, it looked like it was going to happen that way. When it was 32-21 at the first, not the first break, excuse me, the four-minute four break, Maryland had a 94% chance of winning the game according to ESPN's win probability calculator. Jalen Smith looked like he woke back up. The team was handling it well. There was a lot, a lot of fouls on the, in that stretch, but it was fine. We were doing well on offense. And then, just like Michigan State did, Illinois has a run to end the half. And you're thinking, all right, well, that kind of sucks, but, you know, we'll... We'll figure it out. We'll win. They're not that good. And then Maryland just has a 
excuse me here, but a turd of a second half. Yeah, I'm looking down the stat line, and I, I don't really feel like going that far into it because there's really not much to talk about. I mean, if you look at Maryland's stat line, just really quickly, Fernando, 19 points, 10 boards. Smith had 11, probably the first, I don't know, I think he had the first seven for Maryland or seven of the first nine, and seven boards. Ayala didn't even score. Daryl Morsell had seven points and really didn't even fill his role very well. Cowan, still even on a bad game, was four for ten shooting, two for four from deep, made all eight of his free throws and had 18 points. If you go into the bench, Bender and Lindo were both very ineffective in this game. Sorrell Smith didn't do much. Wiggins struggled to shoot it from deep. And Reese Mona got in for all of probably about a minute. So, there you go. There's not really that well, much. Well, you missed, you missed one very key thing. 21 turnovers. Oh, I was getting Mar- there. All right. I'm not sure you were, but I guess Maryland just could not hold on to the ball. And remember, Mace, we talked about that a lot early in the season, and it showed up again at the worst possible time. Yeah, and the other thing, if you want to talk about things at the beginning of the season that maybe you missed, was 6 from 19 from 3. I know it's 31%. But Maryland, again, was thrust into the late shot clocks, having to throw up threes, having Cowan put him up. But no, it wasn't Cowan in this game. So Maryland wasn't making any of them. It was a simple defense. You lock off your two best players and make the other guys play it. And if you're Maryland, you know how you do that? You move the ball really fast. Set screens. React during the game. And instead of maybe Mark Turgeon saying, we got to go back and look at this tomorrow on film, He's got to do something about it during the game, or you're going to lose to a team that's six and fourteen and two and seven in this conference. Now, there's one thing that you got to say when you're talking about this game. If they called every foul in this game, let's see, Illinois had one guy with five fouls, another guy with four, another guy with three. I think that six players for Illinois would have fouled out of this game. I was sitting in probably the third row in the end zone in the press section, and you could see it, guys just getting hacked. But what did the Big Ten refs do? Both coaches were very angry with how the game was being refereed. The conference isn't doing anything about it. It's starting to become very annoying. And in this game, you know what your job as a referee is? To call the fouls. It doesn't matter if Illinois gets, I don't know, 30 of them and Maryland ends up with, what did Maryland have, 20, 17? That's the way the game's being played. And what do the refs will say? Well, that messes up the flow of the game. Well, if they're fouling you, they're not letting Maryland run in transition. They're beating up Morsell. They're beating up Cowan. It's just, it's ridiculous. And what did Turgeon do? He waited till the game was over to get a technical foul. Get that foul while they're nailing your star player and it's still a game and maybe you can do something about it. Maybe you can get your team pressed to make a run. But what do they do? Nothing. And it's just, it's not Turgeon's way. I understand that. But it, it still really bothers me after watching, you know, Gary Williams for the first, I don't know, 13 years of being a Maryland fan. The Well, here's something... And, yeah, I agree that there's not much to dive into here, though there are a couple more things I really want to hit on. One of them is we, as Maryland fans, we've often talked about how how Mark Turgeon needs star guards to create offense and bail them out of games. And we're seeing what happens here because we, especially you and me, have really harped on Anthony Callum being the heartbeat, the blood of this team. And when they take him out of the game plan, as you said, we got nothing. I mean, I don't even know what to do about that. Well, what they got was, they, yeah, you're right. They they didn't have much. Um, De La Rosa for 
Illinois was really physical down low. Jalen Smith cannot play against a physical big man. I mean, it's just like the same themes over and over and over again. Maryland was out physical. Maryland, Maryland um, coaching-wise, Underwood, I know that you this year has been really rough for Illinois, but if you look at his past, I don't know, five years, he's taken Oklahoma State to the tournament. He's gone. Um, he's done pretty well when he was at SF Austin. He's done um, He's done some good things as a coach, and, and in this game he outcoached Mark Turgeon. Jalen Smith isn't physical. Morsell doesn't give you a lot on offense. Bender and Lindo, I really like Ricky Lindo, but at the end of the day, he's a really thin freshman who plays like a freshman. Bender can't do anything. Maryland's Cowan and Fernando, that's it. That's all they got. Sure, Eric Ayello can maybe step up in the game. Sure, Aaron Wiggins can score, I don't know, 18, whatever. He had 15 the other night against um, Michigan State, and Sorrell Smith can put some threes down the hole. But that's it. It really, when it comes down to it, who's consistent, who makes plays every night, you got two guys. And that's, that doesn't cut it in this league. You're going to lose a game to an Illinois or a Northwestern or a Seton Hall game that you should have won. That, that's that's the stuff that's going to happen when you rely on two guys. Uh, my other One of my other points is Illinois had two players in this game in Tavion Jones and Andres Felice who, just, who had great games and just generally don't. Tevion Jones is a freshman who scores three points a game. He had 18 points. Andres Felice has seven points a game. He had 15 points. Well, that's not really Mark Curzon's fault. Like, they just had two players that don't really generally have good games have outstanding performances, and that just kind of sucks. That That's just bad luck, I feel like. See, when Brad Underwood said in the um, post-game press conference – he said um something like the it was actually it was Wayne. Wayne asked him a question that said, um, down the stretch, you know, was there one play they can point to? And he said it wasn't down the stretch. It was down the stretch of the first half when we got back into the game that allowed our our locker room to want to win this game. That allowed us to get hyped up, say, you know, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna win. And damn it, if we don't win, you know, whatever. But it allowed them to even have that that hype moment in the locker room going out in the second half and saying, you know, and then one of their players said, well, someone asked him about that, the halftime. And they said, well, coach just said we had to go out and we really had to punch Maryland in the face and hopefully they wouldn't get back up. And, you know, he didn't really say anything else other than that. But we had to punch him in the mouth. That's what they told him to do. They said, come out and just, you know, whack Maryland. Get really physical with them and you'll hopefully win the game. That is not something that I want to see out of my team. I know that you probably think something really similar to that, but really that bothers me that when a team goes in the locker room, they're down by four, and how do you beat Maryland? Well, they say get out there and you know punch them in the mouth, do some stuff really quickly, get really physical, and you'll win. That really bothers me as someone that doesn't really appreciate maybe the way that Maryland plays. I just, oh, in the interest of time, I'll get to my last point of the game, which is my most frustrated point of the game is what on earth was the substitution patterns in the last 10 minutes of this game? Why was Jalen Smith not in the game until the last two minutes? Why was Eric Ayala not in the game until the last two minutes? Why was Terrell Smith in? What was going on? Well, if you look at why Eric Ayala wasn't in, I mean, he didn't score. What are you talking about? He's not important but, when he doesn't score. But we were we always say, yes, as I know. basketball fans, you want your best players down the stretch. 
why is Jalen Smith and Eric Allen not in the game? Why is Daryl Morsell playing power forward? And Sorrell Smith, who I like Sorrell Smith, but he's not one of your best players. Why are they in the game? Because if you look at this from a coaching aspect, you know, I understand why Jalen's not out there at this point. He really can't play defense. He doesn't rebound. Look, I, I'm, I'm not saying that he's not talented. I'm not saying if he gets, you know, the 15 pounds of muscle that they easily will be able to put on him over the offseason, he won't come back Fernando-like. But you got to look at it right now. What does Jalen Smith bring? He brought you those seven points, hit a three, I don't know, made two two-point baskets. But what is Jalen Smith doing? What does I'm he not... do? What does? What are those two guys doing? I know they're, they're your best players. Those are the five guys that should be on the court. No dispute to that from me. But you got to look at it like Mark Turgeon does, which really kind of is by a game-by-game basis of who's out there. He believes that he's got eight guys that can play. I'll go back to what he said when Sorrell Smith could do absolutely nothing. Sorrell's a good player. We're going to keep on going back to him because I know that he's a good player. That's what he said. Maybe two or three words different. But he said Sorrell's a good player. We're going to keep going back to him. He believes that he's got those eight guys that he puts out there other than maybe minus Lindo and minus... Um, Bender, he believes that those guys can really play basketball at almost about an even level other than Bruno and Cowan. So the guys are like Ayella, Morsell, and Smith are pretty much interchangeable with whoever's on the bench. And it, I don't know what you really want to think about that. That's just the way, and you know it, and I know it, and every Maryland fan that listens to this podcast probably knows. That's the way Mark Turgeon coaches. It just is what it is, and you really can't really say much about this game. Because it just, it was emblematic of what I think we all knew was going to happen eventually, which was one of these bad teams was going to get a few guys that got hot. Maryland was going to come out, same slowness, give up a few runs, goes to sleep when they get a lead, and they were going to lose. Eventually the other team wasn't going to stop being physical. Was going to be really mad about the way they played the season, think that they were better than that, and go out there and just beat you up. And really, there should have been a bunch of fouls in this game. Maryland should have won by 20. But that's not the way basketball is refereed, no matter what conference you're in. I know people are saying if this game was in the ACC, you know, Maryland would have blown them out with foul shots. But Virginia's a really physical team. Virginia Tech is. I mean, it doesn't matter. That's just the way basketball is refereed. It just is what it is. I agree with you to an extent. I don't agree with everything you said, but I I do get your point. And I guess let's look ahead for a minute. Now Maryland is... With Purdue beating Michigan State today, which is a huge upset, by the way, and a really big win for Purdue, Purdue is now ahead of Maryland in the Big Ten standings. Maryland's fourth at 7-3. and three. Maryland, based on what happened earlier this season with Florida State, when they had a similar week to Maryland and were around the same ranking, Maryland's probably going to be ranked next week. And they no. play Northwest. Or not. Maryland did not have a similar week to that. Remember, you got to remember the Florida State thing, what happened. They lost the week before. They were like number nine. Then they fell to number eleven and had that two lost week. It wasn't. They were. They got ahead. I think Maryland's going to bounce back to around twenty-one or twenty-two. I disagree, but we will find out tomorrow. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Maryland plays Northwestern next, seven p.m. Eastern on FS1, and unfortunately for us, that is now a monumental game. Yeah, it will be a red out at Xfinity Center. I think they're doing like a Spider-Man theme, which would uh, I think pretty cool. Spider-Man theme red out, which is bizarre to me, but I think yeah, I think it could be pretty cool. I think the logo that came out was pretty good. I'm not sure if you guys all saw that on Twitter, but it's up there on Maryland basketball page. 
And then they really get into it. You're talking about at Wisconsin on February 1, at Nebraska on the 6th, at home against Purdue on the 12th, at Michigan on the 16th, at Iowa on the 19th. It could get really hard really quickly here. I wouldn't be surprised if Maryland loses at Wisconsin, loses at Nebraska, loses at home to Purdue, and loses at Michigan and Iowa. I think Iowa's a winnable one. I think they're pretty much all winnable. Maybe, you know, somehow they could go out and push against Michigan. But who knows what's going to happen here. Um, it, it's really telling to the rest of the season. Hopefully, at least it starts off with a win coming up on Northwestern. It's Tuesday. I think we'll be back here on the podcast on Wednesday. Um, Jordan, anything else to add? Um, like I, I know I've said this before, but Northwestern, we match up really favorably with in a lot of ways. Tickets are as low as $8 on some of the resale sites. So I'm sure if you listen to us, you probably go to a, a fair amount of the games. But, you know, if you know people who are thinking about heading out, Tuesday is the cheap day to do it, probably finish the season. Northwestern's not very good. That's just how it is. I really think we can take it to them and get a much-needed morale-boosting win. And if we don't, we may have to answer some hard questions next week, Mason. Yeah, I think that the season's definitely coming to a strong point right here. I think we're, what are we, a little bit past the midpoint here, 20 games in or so? Um, Maybe, like, closer to two-thirds, but about halfway through the Big Ten. Yeah, it's when it gets really tough around here. Got to win these games. Got to get the easy ones done. You dropped one of them, but, hey, Pick it up, keep moving. That's really all I got to say on this podcast. Yep, if we lose next week, you can bet we are going to come at with some vitriol on Wednesday. Yeah, hopefully we have some more football recruiting news and, of course, another basketball game before our next podcast. Um, until then, you can follow us on Twitter. Jordan, tell us where. You can follow us on Twitter at YoungTurp1. That is YoungTurp with the number one. You can follow Mason on Twitter at InternMason. And that is all I got for this week. And, of course, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin Party Rental resource. Jordan, I'm in talks with Donnie, and I think it's I think um, we're starting to get down to your uh, inauguration. Jeez. Look, I could have really ripped into the Terps this week. I didn't. I get some credit for that, I think. Yeah, but seriously, for all of your party needs um, from – Anything, a lunch in your backyard to the presidential inauguration. Allied has done it all, and they're experts at it. You can visit their website at alliedpartyrentals.com and Viner Forgates, the place to go for all of your business IT solutions. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at oneviner.com. Um, rough game yesterday. Glad that I got to go. Glad that I got to see the garden and the Terps play in the garden. But, hey, it didn't work out. Time to keep moving on still. You know, seven and three in the conference. Hopefully, it's still ranked come tomorrow, and it's time to move on and get ready for Northwestern. It is time, as I say, to play up or shut up around basketball. I would agree with that. Hopefully, get to see some of you guys out there at the game on Tuesday. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs>